Hey, family. Good to see you. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Corey Bendix, one of the pastors on staff here. And tonight is our Leadwell graduation. Very excited about this. Um, for those of you who don't know, Leadwell is kind of the, it's the theological arm of our church. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about it in a few minutes, but um, our goal is to take uh, theology, life, and mission and intersect them in Leadwell. It's a two-year program. It's supported by uh, L215 from the Every Nation family that we are a part of. They have done a really great job of creating a two-year track um, where uh, our students, esteemed students, congratulations, class of 2023. Guys are amazing. Um, they have uh, navigated 12 classes from hermeneutics and theology to apologetics and homiletics. Some of you think hermeneutics is like a yoga move. It is not. Um, Spirit-empowered life and the church and uh, theology and so much more. Um, and so it is, it is an honor f for us to take a moment and to, celeb to celebrate them, but to give us a context of how God is, could be calling all of us into a, a, a new uh, encounter uh, as it pertains to uh, taking our life and reorienting it around freshly um, who Jesus wants to be in us through his word. And so what we want to do is look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 22 um, in the life of Josiah. Um, the kind of the question that I want to ask for tonight is, you know, during times of spiritual decline, how does God respond to a, pers to a person who discovers and treasures his book? During a season of decline, what would it look like for one man or woman to have intensity of obedience and loyalty that matches the intensity of the decline? What would that look like? for you to have a fresh intensity for the book that matches the intensity of the decline in our society. In 2 Kings chapter 22, this is what the Bible says in verse 8, talking about the life of Josiah. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan, the secretary, verse 8, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. And he read it, verse 10. Then Shaphan, oh, I'm sorry, will you stand as we read the book, as we read the Bible? I apologize. That's, gosh, that's on me. First time the pastor's failed. Might as well be me. Um, I apologize. Verse 10. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. Shaphan read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Achbor, wow, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, it gets even better, and Asiah the king's servant saying, go inquire for the, of the Lord for me and for the people and for, all and for all Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Verse 18, 
but to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. Thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against the place and against its inhabitants and, and, and that they should become a desolation and a curse and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The driest place in all the world is a place called the Atacama Desert. It's in Chile. It's a place that is so dry, so desolate, they get right out around like a quarter of an inch of rain each year. This is the space that, um, that NASA takes all of their spacecraft and lunar modules and they test it in the Atacama Desert in preparation for Mars. Now, in this driest place of the desert of the world, and I think I've got a, a picture behind me, there are 200 different seeds, 200 different seeds that have um, kind of, they, they've, they've been birthed, but then they die because it's so dry. But once every year and a half, two years, three years-ish, there is something supernatural that happens. That in this moment of what's called a super bloom, where they get 10 hours of downpour, 10 hours of downpour resulting in about 10 inches of rain, what happens overnight is this. The most desolate place in all the world becomes one of the most fruitful. In the text that we just read, we discovered one man who happens to be living in the most desolate place in all the world spiritually. What we discover in this one man is what happens when intensity of obedience and loyalty that matches an intensity of decline, it produces a supernatural life that God himself is drawn to and he blesses. What I love about the story of Josiah, if you don't, if you're not aware of it, um, Josiah has, has a, a lot of objections to him. He's eight years old when he become, becomes king. Um, his father, his name is, uh, is a, he was a really great guy named Ammon. I'm kidding. He wasn't great at all. Um, he was an absolute, he was a terrible man. Um, but his spiritual legacy that Josiah has to work with is a man named Amon who, uh, according to the Talmud, he burnt the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, their most holy scriptures, he burnt them. And he allowed spider webs to cover the altar. Well, he learned what he did from his father, Manasseh. Manasseh, he reigned for 55 years. He participated in witchcraft, divination, burnt infant sons as offerings to idols, uh, consulted mediums and wizards. Um, he built altars for pagan sacrifices inside of the temple. So God's holy place, he is building it to honor and to glorify every God on the face of the earth. He is, he is uh, between Manasseh and Ammon. We have 
two examples that you would think someone like Josiah, he would throw his hands up in the air and go, I can't do anything because I don't have a spiritual example to look at. And then he happens to be in the worst possible moment in all of Israel's history, spiritual decline. The, the, book, the book of the law had been lost for over 250 years. The Passover hadn't been celebrated in over 400 years. This is spiritual decline that you wouldn't, it, it just, it boggles the mind. And yet, what does Josiah do at the age of 16? This is what, he, this is what the book says. He began to seek the God of David. Amen. You see, when you don't have a spiritual example, you just, you, you just find another one. If you don't have one in front of you, what David said, he just found a new spiritual dad. I don't, I don't I, I've got Manasseh and Ammon. Okay, fine. I'm going to go back into history and I'm going to discover what does it look like to honor this God that I've heard tales about? What does that look like? And so he discovered David and he began to reorient his life around who this man David was and how David worshiped this God. And so he just began to do that for him for himself. If you don't have a spiritual example and in the Western church, um, it is, it, there, there is a, an ongoing, uh, almost a, t- a tumultuous uh, We don't live in a, in a day and age where there's a whole lot of examples to look at. And so in the midst of where we are, I want to encourage you, if you can't find one in front of you, look to church history, look to the Bible. Let's, let's be a people who, like this man, sometimes that what you do is you look back and go, okay, who can I begin to model my life after to allow for there to be spiritual growth that begins to emanate from my life? This is what David did. He found a spiritual father and he began to to pursue it. What, 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 what we find when it comes to, jo, to Josiah is that in the midst of where he was, he, he's young, no spiritual examples, that in the midst of this season where there's not a whole lot to pursue or momentum to push him forward, that what we find is that, that he, he begins to recalibrate his life around, who, around discovering what the book says, around what the Bible says. That when we live in a time of decline, that what we have to do is wage war on mediocrity. And this is what Josiah does. He wages war mediocrity. You know, I, I, I found that here recently there's been a, a, um, an identification of resilient faith. George Barna, he did a study where what he did is he said that... Uh, Resilient disciples are as follows. They attend church monthly. They trust in the authority of the Bible. They affirm the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Again, all things that we teach at Grace Kids around the age of uh, about eight or nine. And they express desire to transform broader community resulting from their faith. What Barna discovered is that they're about 10% of 20-somethings would say that they have a resilient faith. 10%. That what we, we live in a day and age where it is a time of decline, and so the question is, what does it look like to wage war mediocrity? One man with an intensity of obedience and loyalty 
that matches the intensity of the decline. So what, how did Josiah read this Bible? And what, what have we taught when it comes to lead, lead well? We've got amazing graduates for the last two years. They have reoriented their life around discovering what it means to live into the Bible, to be loyal and obedient. What does it look like to read the Bible like Josiah? So what we discover is that he reads the Bible relationally, not as a moral book. That this, this was... That this was not a, a moral book of right and wrong, but what he discovers is that this was a relational book. What, we, what um, scholars have said is that he discovers the book of Deuteronomy. That, and the, 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 um, there's about six echoes, textual echoes of the fact that he is reading uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28 and 29, and he's having a meltdown. That he, he's reading this Bible not as a do and don't book, but he's reading it as a relational covenant. That when you and I, when we read the Bible, we get a chance to read this Bible through the lens of very great and precious promises that God has extended to you and I that we have the privilege of now absorbing, protecting, coming, walk, uh, stepping into. And then what these great and pre precious promises do is that they remind us of the fact that we live into a relational story. That this is about a, a relationship with a living God who now wants to take his book and now wants to awaken and quicken your, your life so that you and I can be those who are loyal and obedient in intensely difficult times. Is that this, this man, what he, what he does is that he, he sees that this is a relational book and he has, and there, there's a war inside of him on how he's going to read it. Everything inside of him is saying, just ignore it. It's too big. It's too complicated. It's too oppressive. It's filled with too many contradictions. Words that many of us hear on an ongoing basis that, that, that what prevents us from getting into the book is that it's just too big. It's too complicated. It's got too many contradictions. It's too oppressive. And yet, in the same way that Josiah steps into this book, he enters into it in spite of what he doesn't know. He steps into it because that he is, he's longing for relationship with the God that created it. And that, that what we also discover is that, is that he not only enters into this relational book, but he allows the book to read him. See, it's one thing for us to read the Bible. It's another thing when the Bible begins to read us. Here recently, I heard a story of, of um, Mama Zebras that have this beautiful relationship with their baby zebras. And what happens is that, is that when they're born, these, these, these baby zebras are not allowed to leave their mama for a season of time. What happens is that in, in, the, in the midst of the season, there's something called imprinting that is going on. Each of the zebras has a, a stripes that are a lot like thumbprints. And for a season of time, what this mama zebra is doing is staring into the eyes of her child, imprinting her identity into this child. And over the course of a season, what happens once the imprinting is done, the baby is allowed to be released into the tribe because now he or she knows who mama is. See, when the book begins to read us, it imprints us. It, it imprints us. And 
And when we talk about the book reading Jeremiah, as we noticed in the text, he, he's reading it and he tears his clothes because he realizes he and his people have been unfaithful. See, when the, when the book begins to imprint itself on us, we give it the, the allowance to, to step into the deepest recesses of our heart and tell us who we really are. That when we allow for the Bible to truly imprint itself on us, it begins to read us and goes down into the core of who we are to reveal spaces in which we hide or we numb, but the Spirit of God, through his word, wants to now read you to heal you. You see, more often than not, when we talk about the Bible, the Bible is, through, through, a, um, through a cultural way, that we have seen the Bible through what it does for us. But when we begin to read how it wants to cut us in order to heal us it's like a rumble strip you know like the rumble strips on the side of the road once you start going off course you feel it and your whole car vibrates and then you 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 navigate away from the rumble strip back into safety well when we start to read the bible in ways where it starts to cut us it's like a rumble strip we want to get as far away from that as we possibly can and, and yet, what I love about Josiah, what he teaches us is that he allows for the Bible to cut him, to heal him, to restore him. When was the last time you read the Bible in a way that allowed it to cut you, in order to heal you, to go down to those spaces that you've been hiding, to lovingly and past, pastorally, tenderly, with, with clarity, with with clarity of, of, of hand, the Spirit of God uses his word to, to, to now allow for things deep to be revealed. I've been going through a season, if I'm honest, that I have been allowing for this word to, to, un, to unveil and to reveal some spaces that, that have been very, very deep and very, very personal. And it's, very, it's been very, very difficult and yet it's been so restorative to, for the last six, six to eight, eight months or so, in community with people for the word of God to begin to reveal, bring pain where necessary, but bring healing as, as a result. That's what, that's what we are trying to help students do at Leadwell, is read this Bible, but allow the Bible, the book, to begin to read them. And then what, what we find, too, is that when it comes to the, how he reads this Bible, he reads it in community. You see, what, what in, in verse 20, uh, two, uh, tw ch chapter tw 23, verses 2 and 4, this is what it says. And he read in the hearing of all people, great and small, all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people joined in the covenant. What he does is he takes his agency, he takes his influence and he brings those around him into the journey that he's on in discovering and treasuring this book. Now, what, what's phenomenal about this is that as a result of what he's done is that there's going to be a couple of people who are in the crowd here, Daniel and the three 
Jewish boys. What's going to happen is that these Jewish boys, without them even realizing it, they're about to go into, into, into Babylon, into captivity. But what they are going to have deeply knit into their own heart is the courage and the clarity of how to not only read the Bible, but allow the Bible to form them. Is that what, when, when we as, as leaders, when we as a church, when, what, when we begin to allow for the Bible to read us and we bring those that are around us, when we allow the community to, to surround us and we read this book together, we don't realize what's happening in the, in the impact of the future as a result of allowing for the book to form us. And then what, what we find is that, is that when it comes to, jo, to Josiah, that he not only um, reads this book, he, he responds to it. He, he, he responds to it. He responds to it with radical obedience. With radical obedience, but with radical repentance. That what, what happens as a result, if you know anything about Josiah's life, um, the rest of, of, of 2 Kings 22 is that he goes on a rampage in and going through all of Jerusalem and he takes all of these of the idols and and the altars that that those that have gone before him have set up and he goes through and he gathers all of them and he begins to destroy them that this man goes on the warpath he goes on the warpath because of what he's read it empowers him it now launches him into this life where he is looking at the impact of sin or the impact of his fathers and he is everything that is bled down he is going and without stop he is now finding ways to tear it all down that this book it actually influences and it empowers us to discover where has the influence of sin been knit into my heart and God give me the courage to be able to go down deep and root it out. And he does this in community. He does it in community. When, when was the last time in community you gave the gift of confession? That you brought people in. You brought people into the, the darkness. You brought people into the chaos. And you tore things down that had been held up by your own disobedience and rebellion. You, you, you partnered with people to tear things down as a result of the gift of confession. See, this is, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be those that are formed by the book. That are now relentless in their own formation that they realize that the only way for you to become the person God has created you to be is for you to fight for it, is for you to have teeth to your discipleship, is for us to realize that I'm not gonna drift into the purpose God asked for me, I'm gonna have to actually participate in it. And one of the ways that we can do that is through this Bible, connected to real community, and as a result, partnering together, we go down to the high places that have been set up for generation after generation after generation, whether it's anger or lust or, or, or loneliness or depression or suicidal ideations, all of these things that have been a part of our stories that we have, as a result of this man's example, a, a privilege, an opportunity, an invitation to go down deep to where all of it is hiding 
and go beyond just feeling sorry for something, but now allow for the book to now drive us to the next space of repentance, which is, I'm going to start pulling things out. Start pulling things out. Like what, what does it look like for you to pull out at the roots things that have been hiding for years? Like this is, this is what I love about this man's story is that he gives us an example of what it means, what it looks like, and what the result is when we have the courage to not just read this Bible, but allow the Bible to now bring us into responses. And those responses meant that he would rather be holy than comfortable. I mean, like, at every place in our, in our life, like, if you go to a, a gym and you pay a trainer, that trainer is not going to be nice to you. <laughs> and, and you're okay with that. Like, you pay him a lot of money to say, hey, fatty, <laughs> it's time to stop eating like a, like a 14-year-old. Get on the treadmill. Well, you can't talk to me. Yes, I can. You're paying me to talk to you like this because you're paying me to get results. Like we, we expect, we would rather for people to, to be clear with us, to, to push us, to, to force us, to, to, to give us things that we have to have even though it's uncomfortable. We expect that and accept that in every place except for spiritually. And so what, what we have in the example of Josiah is that he would rather be holy than comfortable. This is a part of reading the Bible is that we are committed to the presence of God using his word to bring his holiness. And a lot of the times that holiness means our, our discomfort. This is, this is what he, he reveals to us in his example. He walks us through even what repentance is. Re, new, pent, view. That when, when, when you think about repentance, it's a wake-up word. I mean, just think about what was the first thing that went when sin came into the world? Our sight. We, we ate the fruit, and our eyes were opened, and we saw that we were naked and ashamed. What happens, the first thing that happens when we repent? Our eyes are open, and we see God, we see ourselves. And we see the world around us through a new perspective, empowering us to take new steps. I mean, this is what Josiah is. He's helping us see when you read the book, the book begins to drive you to a new response. And then we find the rhythms. The rhythms that are created as a result of reading this book. The Passover hadn't been, been celebrated in over 400 years. And so what does he do? Josiah, he restores redemptive practices. He takes, if you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and 35, you'll see an unveiling of the, of the finest Passover service. That It was said that there was no service like it in over 400 years. I mean, just imagine having a service and going, there hasn't been a service like this since the 1600s. Now, that's a proper service. That's what's happening here. And, like, this is what is going on when it comes to the life of, of Josiah. He takes the redemptive practices that had been occurring that in, in the life and in the lives of the people of Israel, and he puts God back at the center. And so when we read the book, we're now motivated as a result of the book to, to now wage war on sin, 
but then we now have our, our whole life, it begins to revolve freshly around who God is. God goes, gets back at the center. You see, God is always trying to get himself to the center. The center of marriages, to the center of society, to the center of your own heart. Like this is what God is, he is actively trying to get at the, at the center. And in like the response of this man, he puts God back at the center. I, I love lead well because there are so many examples of people who are willing to sacrifice so much in order to put the book at the center. And I think about, about Gabe and Christina Mans, a couple who have four kids. I think the oldest is like two. I'm just kidding. I mean, they have, they have like four, they have four kids. They have, they have four kids. They have so much just things that are so much happening. And yet at the center of their life is lead well. It's, it's not even lead well. It's the book. It's the Bible that, that they're willing to take their whole life and center it around Jesus. Amen. I mean, I think of Nate Warfield and everything that he's doing when it comes to like life in the aerospace engineering world. They're working 70 hours a week, four kids, leading a small group. And then what's at the center? He's serving at Grace Kids. It's, it's lead well. It's the book. See, so he reorients his life, who he is, what he's doing. Like he's centering He's putting Jesus, he's putting the Bible in the center. Like this, is, this is what it looks like for us as a people to, to consider, to read, to look again to what does it look like for me to actively contend for my own discipleship, to fight for it, to have teeth to it, to, to reevaluate like what spiritual examples are in front of me. There's so many good ones that are in this church. There's so many good ones that are here locally. But like, what does it look like for us to, to look and, and make sure we've got the right ones in front of us that are pushing us to, to increase our faith, to, to increase G, Jesus at the center? Like, What does it look like for us to be a people who not, not just read the book, but allow the book to read us? Like, what does it look like for us to sacrifice and put this, this book at the center? This is what our goal is when it comes to lead well, and I'm excited to be able to celebrate these graduates who have done just that. Let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for who, who you are. God, that you are a, a really good daddy. You're tender to us. But God, you have given us your Bible to form us, to shape us, to reveal us who we really are and to lovingly lead us into life with you. God, I'm, I'm asking even in this moment that we're in that you would help us, you would reveal to us God, where, what is our relationship with this Bible really like? Is this something that we read in order to make our life more comfortable? Is this something that we read because we have to because we feel guilty if we don't. God, will, will you freshly form us in, in how you want to take this Bible and you want to, to, to fashion us to be loyal, obedient, tenacious disciples 
in a very chaotic world. Lord, we honor you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.